0: Before we get started with the lesson, I do need to ask you this question. Um, has anybody here ever heard of the phrase thought catcher? Thought catcher. Okay, good. All right. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I was at a professional development. And uh, I'm a teacher, and we work with our main platform to communicate with parents and teachers Canvas. And so I was brushing up on my skills on on canvas and uh, so I was sitting through this professional development and the presenter kept saying you know you'll need to get out your thought catcher clueless on my part and I kept looking around and nobody else was doing anything so you know but throughout the presentation she'll say yeah you want to put this in your thought catcher (laughs) well as the as the seminar progressed uh, we took a break, and I needed a specific question answered with regard to how to work with my Canvas. And so I called her over, and I said, "Now that we're a break, can you just answer this one question for me? How can I uh, do what I need to do?" And she said, "Sure. First, get out your thought catcher." And I thought, "Oh, great." <laughs> <coughs> I said, "Okay, I, I'm going to plead ignorance here. I have no clue what you're talking about. What is a thought catcher?" And she says, "It's that notes page." that i handed you and i said oh i said then why don't we just call it notes <laughs> without without batting an eye she said oh that's come from i don't know if i should n- mention the state cuz some of you are coming from that state <laughs> but it's that big state on the west coast he says, it's, it's coming from there. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, you know, the higher-ups, the high academic types have done some research and they've decided that students get anxious when they have to take notes. And so they call it a thought catcher. And so I said, I said well, I don't understand. Isn't the process the same? And she said, yes. And I said, so, let me understand this. I'm kind of slow. I said, so by just changing the name, but the process is the same, they're not anxious anymore. And she said, that's right. So for your benefit, <laughs> there are notes pages on the, da- on the tables there, OK? If you are anxious. I would refer to you to go to Philippians 4.6, okay? So, all right, so thank you. You know, last week, as Corbett opened our study in the kingdom, of the divided kingdom, one of the things that struck me, one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that it, it really doesn't matter what your spiritual giftedness is. If you refuse to deal with the daily influences of sin it will result in God's disciplining and chastening in your life. You know, when the Lord granted Solomon anything that his heart's desired, he says, I choose wisdom. And God gifted him with wisdom. And that was an excellent choice on Solomon's part. You know, we know that apart from Christ, King Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But yet his gift of wisdom did not free him from the daily influences of sin. He still needed to deal with the continual assault of sin that comes in this fallen world. And the same is for us. It doesn't matter what our spiritual giftedness is. You know, we live in a world that's ruled by Satan, and our daily responsibility to walk in a manner, manner that's worthy of the Lord is to battle the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. 1 Kings clearly lays out for us how wrong decisions will lead to the discipline of God's hand for those who choose to rebel against Him. And I appreciate what Corbett said last week. He, he, he reminded us that the overarching themes in, in the book of 1 Kings is that the Lord is always faithful. Uh, the Lord is always trustworthy. God is always faithful despite the faithful faithlessness of men god is always true to his promises even if those promises include chastisement and discipline (laughs) tragically there are consequences to sin and we'll continue to see those consequences laid before our eyes as we continue our study in first kings romans fifteen four reminds us that whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope to that end let us pray father we thank you for this morning we thank you for your word and God I pray that as we study your word this morning that it just wouldn't be words on a page but I pray that we would have a heart's understanding that they were preserved for us So that we might be encouraged. So, God, I pray that we would be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, challenged where we need to be challenged. And God, I pray that we would repent where we need to repent. Thank you for your word. Thank you in your scriptures. We have hope. We ask this your blessings on this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In my preparation this morning for this lesson, I came across a secular author by the name of Ken Ivey. In his book entitled Pimpology, The 48 Laws of the Game, he he writes this. He says, you are either the kind of person who will have people working for you, bringing you the money, or you're the kind of person who will work for someone else. Hand over your hard-earned dough and let someone else tell you what to do. He continues, and he says, this reality may be offensive to some, but it's real. And if you open your eyes to what is truly going on in this world, you will see that everyone falls into one category or the other. Ivy concludes in his book, and I quote, the key is not to give, but to receive. The more the better you know this is this is such a sad commentary on the purpose of life from a godless perspective according to this philosophy of life there are two alternatives serving or being served and I'm reminded of the sharp contrast of what our Lord said in Mark 10 he says for even the Son of Man did not come to to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many so the question is this is it better to serve or to be served and this question is kind of posed throughout what we'll study this morning in first kings chapter 12 if you're not there i would encourage you to go ahead and turn your bibles to first Kings chapter 12. And just a reminder of where we left off last week, in in, in 1 Kings 11, the prophet Ahijah prophesies that the kingdom of Israel is going to be divided. And uh, because of Solomon's sin of idolatry, the northern ten tribes of Israel will break away and Jeroboam would be their ruler. The southern two tribes, known as Judah, will have Rehoboam as her king. Now, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, the grandson of David. And therefore, he is the right, rightful heir to all of Israel. And chapter 11 ends with this. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. And his son, Rehoboam, reigned in his place. And now we come to chapter 12, verse 1. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. You can see here that uh, the location of Shechem. Shechem was a, was a historical city. Uh, it was a city that, that Abraham visited when he entered the promised land. It was a place where Joseph's bones are buried or were buried. Uh, Shechem is also a political, uh, has political significance. It's where Abimelech, was crowned king and now you remember Abimelech from the book of Judges he's Gideon's evil son Uh, he declared himself king and over Israel and he killed 69 of his half-brothers so uh, there's some significance there it was located about 40 miles north of Jerusalem and it was the heart uh, of the northern territory at this time and so I'm sure you can guess why Rehoboam went to Shechem for his coronation. Uh, He did so hoping to consolidate his power. Uh, He already had broad support in his native Jerusalem, but to govern the entire kingdom, he would need a wider consensus among the other tribes of of Israel. So he travels to Shechem for his would-be coronation, and there he is immediately met by a challenge. uh, jeroboam challenges his authority look at verse 2 now when jeroboam the son of nebat heard of it he was living in egypt for he was yet in egypt where he had fled from the presence of king solomon and again it was prophesied that that jeroboam would rule the northern kingdom And, and this was by god's judgment against solomon and for the nation's idolatry. Now remember back in chapter 11 uh, Jeroboam flees to Egypt because Solomon sought to kill him. Jeroboam was guilty of rebellion and therefore in Solomon's eyes worthy of death. Corbett uh, pointed out last week that that Jeroboam was going to be the king of the northern tribes but not until Solomon died. But in chapter 11 we we see that Jeroboam couldn't wait. Okay, and so then uh, Solomon sought his life, and so he flees to Egypt. And so for for years, Jeroboam stayed in Egypt, waiting for Solomon to die. Now, as Rehoboam is taking the throne, it was time for Jeroboam to come home and issue a direct challenge to his authority. So in verse three. Jeroboam receives word that Saul is dead, and, and his son Rehoboam is going to be crowned king. And in verse three, all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to him, saying, "Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father, and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you." Jeroboam is seeking better working conditions here for their laborers and, and lower taxes uh, for the people of Israel now just to put this in some sort of context uh, we need to understand what's going on here so during Solomon's reign he had this massive building project going on I, I need for you to understand this so I need for you to turn to first Kings chapter 5 first Kings chapter 5 During this time, in 1 Kings chapter 5, by the providence of God, uh, this was the only time in Israel's hi- history that, there was they, that Israel had peace with all its neighbors. Uh, it was the time that Solomon set forth to build the temple for God. So in, in 1 Kings 5, look at verse 4. Solomon is speaking here, and he says this. He says, he says but now, Yahweh, my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary or misfortune. Behold, I intend to build the house for the name of Yahweh my God. As Yahweh spoke to David my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on the throne in your place, he will build a house for my name. So the Lord tells David that his son Solomon is going to build the temple. And so here is that time. Drop down to verse 13. Now King Solomon levied forced labors laborers from all of Israel and the forced laborers numbered 30,000 men He sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month in relays They were in Lebanon a month and two months at home So these forced laborers would end up working four months out of the year Now before we continue, let me ask you this when you hear of the phrase forced laborers what comes to your mind yeah slavery and it would seem to indicate that here however we need to contrast that with first kings chapter 9 so turn there look at verse 19 out of first kings 9 says, all the storage cities which Solomon had, even the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen and all that pleased Solomon to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon and in all the land under his rule. So Solomon had this massive building project going on everywhere. And what boggles my mind is that Solomon need to build cities in order to store his wealth. I cannot imagine that kind of wealth. And so, verse 20, For as all the people who were left, the Amorites, the Hittites, uh, the Perizzites, the the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not of the sons of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the sons of Israel were unable to destroy utterly, from them Solomon levied, levied forced labors even to this day. Look at verse 22. But Solomon did not make slaves of the sons of Israel for they were men of war his servants his priests his captains his chariot commanders his horsemen these were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work okay turn back to 1st king 12 so the israelites were not slaves per se they they seemed to held some leadership positions in Solomon's building projects uh, but the people were heavily taxed and they they wanted relief they wanted relief from these uh, these building projects that were going on so in verse 4 when Jeroboam comes to him and says your father made our yoke hard now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us we will serve you do this and we will serve you and so the question we need to ask, is Is Jeroboam telling the truth here or is he embellishing the truth? You know, we can't be certain. Uh, but it sees that this is, this is an opportunity for him to challenge the newly installed king. And what we see happening before our very eyes is the fulfillment of God's promise. In, in chapter 11, God said that he was going to judge his chosen people because of their idolatry. And the Lord is raising up an individual here whose intention is to usurp the authority of Rehoboam's rightful place on the throne. The Lord is making good on his promise to judge the nation for their rebellion against him. And I don't want you to miss the significance of what's going on here. Uh, The opportunity for us to learn from their mistakes. In verse 4, what's really being said here is simply this do all this then we will serve do what we want and we'll submit to your leadership sadly Jeroboam's approach to Rehoboam resembles the way many people approach God with a long list of demands some say that they're willing to serve God but only on the condition that he will offer better terms you know I've heard people say you know I prayed to receive Christ so I can go to heaven but I'm not gonna make him Lord of my life sadly that's a false gospel and with a with a room this size if that's your position that you have quote unquote prayed to receive Christ but you do not bow down to his lordship i want to challenge your thinking because that is a false gospel false gospels always lead to a false salvation and later after this lesson if you'd like to come talk to me more about that i would be more than happy to do so you know some who call themselves christians are unwilling to surrender to god's sovereign will and they insist on dictating to him how they will serve and I think the challenge for us those of us who are in Christ we need to constantly remember that we are not our own. that 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 when we come to serve God we serve him where he tells us to serve and how he tells us to serve so what we see in verse 4 is really an outward expression of an inward sin problem. Uh, It's a refusal to bow the knee to the ultimate authority of God. And this is the reason for God's judgment on this nation. Many times we do not fully surrender to God's sovereign will in our lives. Many times we want to be our own little kings and queens of our own kingdom. And so the implication for us is simply, you know, we are to serve God We're to serve God without conditions because we are not our own. God owns us. God created us. And if you are a genuine believer in Christ, God owns us twice. Not only did he create us physically, but he's rebirthed us in Christ. I love Psalm 100. It says, know that the Lord himself is God it is he who has made us and not we ourselves we are his people and the sheep of his pasture romans 14 says for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself for if we live we live for the lord or if we die we die for the lord therefore whether we live or die we are the lord's for To this end christ died and lived again that he might be lord both of the dead and of the living you know if you ever found yourself coming to god with conditions saying god if you'll do this then i'll obey you need to repent of that thinking we need to repent of that thinking and one of the one of the glorious things of the gospel is when we repent God will receive us back. God is full of steadfast love. For those who submit and repent of their sins I love Joel. Joel chapter 2 says yet even now declares Yahweh. Return to me with all your heart. And with fasting and weeping and mourning. rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to Yahweh your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting of evil. So in our text, we see that Jeroboam had a choice to either serve or be served. His challenge of Reooboam, his right to rule, indicates that Jeroboam desired to be served himself. Next, on your outline, there's a choice that needs to be made. And in verse 5, Rehoboam said to to them, I can't answer you. I don't know what to do. So he says, depart for three days and then return to me. So the people departed. You know, in one sense, that's that's a wise response. You don't know how to answer? Just say, you know, that's a great question. Let me think about it rather than open up my mouth and spill out something, right? So, in one sense, that's a wise response. He does a good thing here. He seeks advice. And in verse 6, he seeks the counsel from those who served with his father Solomon. The older, the wiser. But in verse 7, this is what we see. This is their counsel. This is the counsel from the older ones. He says, if you will be a servant to this people today and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them then they will your servants be forever so Reo had a choice to make either go easy or go hard maintain the status quo or give the northern tribes a change that they can believe in that sounds like a political campaign If you serve them, they in turn will serve you. My middle child, uh, Christopher, I think I'm the only one that calls him Christopher, everybody else calls him Chris, but my middle child, right now he's a captain in the Marines. He's currently serving in Okinawa. And prior to that, when he was a lieutenant, he was stationed at Camp Pendleton. And there he was a platoon commander and then he got promoted to company executive officer. Now, a platoon consists of about 50 men, and and a company is anywhere from three to four platoons. And I I remember one time asking Christopher if it was difficult leading so many men under his charge. Does he feel the burden of, of the responsibility with those underneath him? And I'll never forget his response. He said, he quickly responded, and he said, no, not really. He said, my role, my job is to give them everything they need to do their job correctly and efficiently. If you serve them, they will serve you. And I go back to the words of our Savior. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Reel had a choice to make and unfortunately we see that he makes a poor choice look at verse 8 he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and then he consults with the young men whom he's grown up with verse 9 so he said to them what counsel do you give me look at this that we that we may answer these people not me but we may answer these people Who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. The young men who grew up with him spoke to him saying, thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you saying, your father made your yoke heavy and now make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Or in other words, I'm much stronger than my father and I'm going to make your life harder verse 11 he says whereas my my father loaded you with a heavy yoke I will add your add to your yoke my father disciplined you with whips I will discipline you with scorpions so we see here that Rehoboam also chooses the route of being served rather than serving Proverbs thirteen twenty says he who walks with wise men will be wise But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Do you know who's, besides the Holy Spirit, do you know who's credited to writing this proverb? Solomon, his own father. So Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives sound advice. Walk with those who fear God, and you will be influenced to do the same. Surround yourself with those who despise God. You will follow in their footsteps. So, Rehoboam ignores the counsel of those who were wise, and he even ignores the Proverbs penned by his father. So, what about us? How do we avoid these mistakes? What can we learn? Well, we need to remember that that servant leaders devote every possible energy to blessing the people that they're called to serve even to the point of sacrificing their own safety and their own prosperity. I need for you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. You know, I, I, I laugh at this little scenario that's going on here, this true event that happened. Uh, it says in verse 20 in, of Matthew 20, when the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. Now, we know what's going to follow, especially those of you that, that have read this before. I tell you what, if this were my mom, I would be totally embarrassed. You know, I'd be <laughs> totally embarrassed. Okay, mom, shh, be quiet. And he said to her in verse 21, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that your kingdom, in your kingdom, these two sons of mine will sit one on your right and the other on your left. Oh, my. But Jesus answered and says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup about, uh, that I'm about to drink? And they said, yeah, we're able. And he said to them, you know, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand or my left This is not mine to give, but it's for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers, and and Jesus called them all to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In this rich text, we're reminded that the style of greatness for leadership for believers is different than that of the world system. The world leads by domination in dictatorial fashion. But for us, the implication is this. Greatness in God's economy, greatness in God's kingdom, is being a servant of all. Genuine believers lead by being servants, giving themselves away for others, as Jesus did. You know, let me ask you this. Where and how are you serving others at this church? do you serve like jesus you know when you take a look at jesus's life the ultimate act of his service to his subject was the divine punishment that he took on their behalf first corinthians 521 says god made jesus who knew no sin to be to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him and unfortunately for us As we read Rehoboam's life, he chose the path of being served rather than serving. I like how Philip Ryken, in his commentary of 1 Kings, summarizes those who lead by wanting to be served. He said it this way. He said, whether we see it in the church, at home, or in public life, this kind of leadership is always utterly disastrous. There's a kind of man who always demands what people Uh, Do what he wants them to do if necessary? He will use verbal and even physical abuse to get what them to do it There are pastors and elders who lorded over their congregations. Thank goodness. That's not here at countryside There are husbands and fathers who are tyrants in their own homes Dictators and despots who, who rule by an iron force He goes on to say Usually these bullies are trying desperately to hide their deep personal insecurity They are not resting in the grace that God has for them or content with who they are in Christ. Otherwise, they would have the love and encourage to lead by service and sacrifice. And I would add, I think, those who lead the way Christ led, as an example, understand how greatly forgiven they are in Christ. That's why people choose to serve. Turn back to 1 Kings. Sadly, Rehoboam chooses to be served. Look at verse 12. 1 Kings 12, 12. Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. And so they did. Here they are. And the king answered the people harshly. He forsook the device or the advice of the elders which they had given him and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young man saying my father made your yoke heavy but I will add to your yoke my father disciplined you with whips but I will discipline you with scorpions you know what a sad choice and some might say you know where's God has he abandoned his chosen people well the answer to that is absolutely not God has never left his throne. Nothing can thwart the will of God. And that's the theme of verse 15. Look at verse 15. So Rehoboam did not listen to the people. Look at this. For it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word which the Lord spoke through Ahijah. This is what was predicted back in chapter 11. The decisions of man can never thwart God's plans. Rehoboam was fully responsible for the decisions that he made to make things worse. Yet even this part was a plan that God had. Psalm 115 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but your name be given. be, Be give glory because of your steadfast love, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. You know, in the midst of my study, I was reminded again of God's gracious and almighty power uh, through the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 43, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen. So that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. Verse 11, I even, I, even I am the Lord and there is no savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed and there is no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? I'm so thankful for our, God's sovereignty of all things. And God uses leaders of the world to fulfill his decrees, and even the decrees of discipline that we're beginning to see as we study 1 Kings. So even in the midst of where we are as a nation, remember that God has not left his throne. And even now he is fulfilling his plan that one day we will be in his presence. Our hope is not in our nation, nor in those who lead us. Our hope is in the new kingdom that's going to come. A kingdom where righteousness dwells. This is not our home. And then finally on our outline, we see Jeroboam's choice in verses 16 through 19. So after Rehoboam made the decision to be served rather than to serve, and after making the decision to make it harder on his subjects, rebellion occurs. Look at verse 16. (laughs) When all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered back and look what they say what portion do we have in david we have no inheritance in the son of jesse to your tents, so israel now look after your own house david and so israel departed to their tents and i want you to understand what's going on here and i want you to notice the difference of what the people said when david became king versus rape So if you look up here on the screen, this is from 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 12. This is what the Israelites said at David's coronation. They said, We are yours, O David, with you, O sons of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to him who helps you. Indeed, your God helps you. Now compare that to what they just said. What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tent, O Israel, now look after your own house, David. This is quite a contrast. As you look at these two verses, you'll see the hardness of their hearts growing over time because of their idolatry. And this is what a pattern of unrepentant sin does to us. In political terms here, in our text, we see an act of secession, The northern tribes were seceding from their union with the southern tribes. John MacArthur points out that that these words of Israel expressed deliberate, willful rebellion against the dynasty of David. The northern tribes declared that they had no legal tie with David and went their way. I want you to fast forward a thousand years from this time. We hear another cry of rejection to the rightful heir to the throne it rings out with that generation of god's chosen people when they rejected the son of god calling calling for christ to be sacrificed to be crucified they cried out then we have no king but caesar we need to decide not to when we decide not to guard our hearts from sin over time we too become callous to holy living Hebrews chapter 3 reminds us take care brethren that there not be any one of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast from the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. So what's the implication for us? The implication for us is this. If we're to protect our hearts from hardening over time, we need to keep short daily accounts of sin. Confess and repent daily. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful to r- and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we take a look at the last three verses in our study this morning, we end on a sad note. It reflects the heart of those who are in rebellion towards God and refuse to bow to God as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 17. He says, But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah... Rehoboam reigned over them. And then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced labor, and all of Israel stoned him. And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariots to flee to Jerusalem in fear. Look at the sad testimony of verse 19. It says So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So both Rehoboam and Jeroboam they were men who made choices to be served rather than to serve. And ultimately we can say say that the name of uh, the same for Solomon uh, that he chose to bow his heart to everything but God. But just as we read at the beginning everything written in Scripture is for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope by God's grace we can learn from the mistakes of others first corinthians chapter 10 verses 11 through 13 says now these things happen to them as example that they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come therefore let him who thinks he stands Take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Although the judgment of God came upon the nation of Israel because of Solomon's sin of idolatry, At the end of Solomon's life, we understand that he repented. And at the end of his life, he pens Ecclesiastes 12, which says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. So... What can we learn? What are the implications for us as we read read these 19 verses? During these, this this lesson, I've tried to weave points of personal consideration, personal things that you can look at for yourself. I said in this lesson that, that genuine believers are to serve God with, with no strings attached because he owns us. First, he created us, and secondly, he has bought us back from the dominion of sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with a precious blood as the Lamb, unblemished, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Another implication I brought up is that the greatness in God's kingdom is being the servant of all. And then I pointed out that if our hearts are not to grow cold towards God, We need to keep daily, watchful eyes on our hearts. We need to be confessing and repenting of sin. But if you take one thing out of this lesson, one thing that you uh, can mull over today and for the rest of this week, I would ask that you would mull over this. Think about this. Ultimately, our serving of self or our serving of others comes with answering the question of whom are you worshiping is it the God who created you or is it yourself one test that we can personally apply to evaluate if we're really in Christ is simply this genuine believers take on the characteristic of their Lord and Savior again go back to mark 10 jesus said for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many my question to you this morning is this when it comes to serving does your heart reflect the heart of jesus that's what i want you to think about this week let's pray Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognize the fact that that your words are preserved for us, so that we might persevere in our faith, so that we might be encouraged in our faith, so that we might have hope. And God, I pray that as we struggle daily with sin, that we would be quick to confess. And that we would be reminded of how these two individuals in chapter 12 of 1 Kings chose to serve themselves rather than ultimately serving you. Might that be on the forefront of our minds today and this week. That every moment of our life we would bow our hearts to the Lordship of Christ so that we might be faithful to serve you. And Father I pray for those individuals in this room right now. Who are struggling. Those who might be struggling with sin. Oh God. Grant them the grace that they need. To come to you in full repentance. So that they might honor you. And walk with you. As you have intended. And Father I do pray for the individual in this room. Who does not know you oh god by your grace may the words that are found in your scripture in your holy book convict their hearts and that they would turn from themselves and turn to you the only true savior jesus christ and father for my brothers and sisters in this room who are daily moment by moment walking with you in newness of life i pray that you would continue to encourage them and challenge them to grow closer to the image of Christ. It's these we ask in the name of our dear Savior's name, Jesus our Lord, amen.